sniffles out of my track uh, because uh, was it two nights after our last podcast recording? I called him and I was like, I'm going to admit it. I am sick. (laughs) (laughs) Almost made uh, bourbon come out Rob's nose there. (laughs) Mommy, I I have a cold in my nose. It is the first. My, my mommy says. God, is this the first time I've been sick away from you in like? Yes, decades, I believe maybe. that's accurate. Yeah. I don't know. Wow. Usually you're around, so I had a very like I'm sorry for myself night. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. It was it was a rough one, but I have tea and I have all of the fizzy water a girl could ask for, and I am gonna hopefully not hack up a lung into the microphone. Blah, 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 blah. I, I giggled at something during a lesson. Oh, if we're sharing stories of 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 uh, ailing uh, colleagues or students or situations, uh, we are we are not really in post COVID times. This is still COVID times, as my email box at the University of Fredonia tells me. Um, because we have oh, we man. have a number of it's not it's not an obscene yeah. number but uh, it is very close <laughs> like in my studio so it's obscene Jason uh, obscene adjacent <laughs> I, I like all of that obscene yes. Jason yes yes <laughs> yep well yep. should we get this party started well I've I've yeah can I now. Do you want me to uh, tell Rob what I texted to you today, Andrew, what I've started calling myself at the end of this cold? Yes, please. It's disgusting. Are you prepared? Hang on. I am a snotopotamus. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Greetings all. Thank this you is for how that. We're opening the show. <laughs> I thought you were going to open it with effing. <laughs> Editing the snuff. Shit, what did I say? Snotopotamus. Editing the sniffles. Snot. Snotopotamus. What? How do you say it? Snotopotamus. Snotopotamus. Oh, that's so good. I'm going to have to use that. I have a, I have a feeling that I'm going to have my my work cut out for me with this episode because uh, between oh, Jamie's man. sniffling and the fact that I think I'm the only one drinking water, this is going to be great. I said I have two bottles of water and a cup of tea. I am I am like full on vocalist preventative right now. I am I full am. on. It's been a week and I need drinks. <laughs> yeah. The bourbon cannot... Get into my system quick enough. <laughs> wow, there are, you just posted a lot of questions to the thing. Well, there's there's a I had I had some fun oh, with no. this, friends. I had some fun oh. with this. Did friends. you make a PowerPoint presentation? Oh my! God. No, kind of. no, no, no. Now, now, I have uh, allowed Chat GPT to do my homework for me. Oh my god! <laughs> so, 
No, ba- basically, basically, no, this is, I think this is very appropriate. And this is, um, maybe we'll, before my colleagues uh, harpoon me here on this podcast, I think uh, for anyone who's been joining us, we've been taking turns hosting kind of each other, asking some questions about uh, various things related to our artistic disciplines or our personal process. Uh, what are we compo- calling these things? Com- composy, composy time. Ta- yeah, composing comp- things. Composing things. So this is what we're doing. Well, I, uh, I I was doing a bit, and I'm trying to think of some really exciting questions to come up with, because y'all had me going last, which was great. I thank you for. Uh, but that also means I'm going last out of this first series. And so uh, y'all had some great questions. So I, uh, like maybe several y'all. of our students... Uh, have have uh, placed the burden outside of myself. I asked ChatGPT uh, to ChatGPT to come up with um, some potential questions. So I, I just want to I just want to say like I just want to start off by talking about how we're framing this here. Um, before my colleagues uh, harpoon me, uh, the questions that we're going to ask are not necessarily the questions that were generated by the bot. I'm going to let those questions, however, like stimulate some meta questions and conversation. It's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. Before we get into it, Garrett Schumann, who is currently doing a blog series about chat GPT, would give you a C minus. I love love everything about what just happened. Can I read a definition of chat GPT from earlier today that I found somewhere? It's. It was originally posted on t- on Twitter. I know I did not find it there because I think this would be a great start. Okay, all right. At Kevlin and at C Weber. I don't know either of these people. They could be horrible humans. I don't know. I will never know. I'm not going to look them up because I'm not really doing Twitter anymore. Describes Chat GPT as mansplaining as a service. And honestly, I can't <laughs> think of a better description. That's pretty a good. A service that instantly generates a vaguely plausible sounding yet totally fabricated and baseless lectures in an instant with unflagging confidence in its own correctness on any topic without concern, regard, or even awareness of the level of expertise of its audience. It's really it good. It has to be said first. Wow. It's, really, it's, so it's good. really good. Who, who did, was it Google that invented chat GPT or someone? Open like, AI. <laughs> Sorry. So so it's uh, it's OpenAI that's currently doing all of this. Oh, uh, which okay. is I believe Microsoft backed. Okay. I believe, but don't quote me on that because I might be conflating several. Because I've I've read a bunch of articles end of last year into the beginning of this year about this whole uh, phenomenon that's happening. I mean, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder what the uh, gender ratio is on the team that created this, you know? You wonder? I don't. I know exactly what it is. (laughs) Go read Invisible Women. There's a reason, there's a reason that people get left out of this conversation and it ends up explaining. When I said I wonder, that was kind of rhetorical. Are you mansplaining your question to me? I am simply <laughs> clarifying. That is all. That's Meanwhile, bourbon. <laughs> 
So right, as we as How we begin it? the contention, before I've even asked my first question, uh, <laughs> we can no definitely uh, talk about what this we have. This is witty in front banter. Of us. <laughs> I love. I love it. I love it. This is half the reason we're still okay. entertaining. And <laughs> we hope. <laughs> uh, okay, so I had put in an initial prompt uh, for. Uh, the bot to kind of consider, and I just told it to generate a list of 10 questions for advanced college students to ask a visiting composer. Uh, and Rob McClure, I think you'll be happy to know that basically it came up with the important question first. The big question is basically what the first question yeah. is. It says, how did you first get interested in composing music? Well, look yeah, at that. There it is. <laughs> but we ask it last so we do we do which i think may be more apropos um we can since since the listening audience doesn't have access to this document and i don't think i plan on posting it uh uh how about we take turns reading off this uh, jamie what's the next uh, the next <clears throat> the next question can it generated? you walk us through your creative process when composing a new piece and then how do you approach incorporating contemporary technology into your compositions uh, number four is, can you discuss any challenges you faced in your career as a composer and how you overcame them? <coughs> as ja as Jamie recovers, maybe Rob should take number five. No, I've got it. <laughs> can you speak to the role of collaboration in your work? How do you stay inspired and continue to innovate in your compositions? Oh my God, you've put on full-on Combroser in this. Yep. <laughs> mm, number seven. Can you discuss any notable commissions or projects you've worked on recently, but only the notable ones? What please. the hell else would you be talking about? <laughs> uh, is it my turn? I already. Yep. I already checked. It out. is, and we're on number eight. How do you approach incorporating <laughs> elements of different cultural or musical traditions into your work? Appropriation. Now that one. <laughs> That one, I was going to say, that one kind of floored me for a <laughs> That was intentional. Don't edit that out. Appropriation. Appropriation. <laughs> I feel like we've already kind of skirted around this in the last couple questions. Uh, can you speak to the role of experimentation in your compositions? I know there's a little bit of a thread from a couple questions back. There's a little continuity there. And, and number 10 is, uh, can you discuss the impact you hope your work has on audiences and the larger musical community? Now, interestingly enough, the last one was my favorite question that it generated. Yeah, I'm seeing a, I'm seeing a, a, a what's that face, Jamie? That's the, how much did you edit that one face? This is, this is what I, this is what came out from that really ridiculous prompt. Okay, right. so one out of ten. Still failed. Still failed. However, ten percent F. Ten percent. Now now, you know, logically things things seem to work out pretty well in terms of uh, uh, at least generating questions that are on point, but maybe not very deep. Interesting. Yeah. Although if we're being honest, sometimes <laughs> uh, you know the the question always comes up of the Turing the test sentence. and what. Uh, no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Sometimes, sometimes um, do do uh, have we been in in conferences where kind of questions like this are posed by actual humans, and 
then the question always comes up with the idea of the Turing test. And of course, if we if we're convinced it's a human, is it actually a human? Does it matter? Um, I thought I thought from my from my vantage point as someone who is desperately struggling mm-hmm. for questions to ask his colleagues, uh, this gave me nine things that either in some way we had already covered more deeply on previous episodes, or that one little thing that you might be able to polish at the end. Well, actually, two things because the one that was like vaguely appropriated, like uh, appro- like how, how do you handle appropriation in your music? <laughs> I thought that was funny. But the last question. How do you incorporate something we've already blacklisted? (laughs) So, uh, Rob, how about you go first? So, with this question, question number 10, can you discuss the impact you hope your work has on audiences and the larger musical community? I mean, I hope they like it, Mm. you know. I, I don't know. Like th- this type of question, you know, do you for for the longest you know, like do you consider your audience? If so, how do, how much do you consider your audience? What do you hope they take away from it? What do you hope like it inspires in them or something like that? Like do you think about do you think about your audience while you're working? Should you think about your audience while you're working? Yes or no? Like, or some percentage of yes, some percentage of no, you know, like mm-hmm. all of these things have been, you know, in, in the back of the consciousness for a while. Now the, you know, I would love to say that I don't consider the audience that I'm just writing what I want to write and hopefully they come along with me but that's not true hmm. i mean you know it's impossible to not think about like <clears throat> you know wanting to please an audience wanting to wanting to have that good feeling at the uh at the end of a piece hmm. you know where it's like people come up to you and they you know they talk to you about it and you know the performers like it i mean they're part of you know, they're, they're a different type of audience, but they're still part of an audience. Yeah. You know, like that you have, like, I don't know if you're actually a human being unless you are considering the audience in some way or another. Um, if you're not, maybe you're just an asshole. I mean, that, <laughs> that that's, that could be that, that answer, you know, that's it. like, that was it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, so yes, like, I, d- I definitely do consider them. What do I hope they take away? Well, <clears throat> I was uh, in my Max class uh, that I'm teaching right now. I I keep telling my stu- like I keep telling my students one of two responses. Um, I don't think we covered this last week, but maybe we did. Um, the, and the, when they ask questions, they're usually like asking questions about well well what about this? How could we do that? And my first response is. We're not there yet. Like we're gonna get there, but we're not there yet. Mm. The second, res- the second most common response is, "Well, what about this? How would you?" And I was like, "It depends," you know. So I, I said I should just make a T-shirt of like, <clears throat> "We're gonna get there" on the front, and it depends on the back or something like that. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. Like, or maybe like just maybe a coffee mug. Like <clears throat> turn, like turn, yep. just depending which way it's. Uh, headed in that uh moment but 
You know, we're thinking about expanding merch for adjectives. I, I was, totally I was gonna like, say, I the, the, that. <laughs> the Rob McClure signature collection. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, mine is gonna be something like Snotopotamus. But, you know. <laughs> Jamie Lee Sampson catchphrases. <laughs> I'm the Snotopotamus. My lyrics are bottomless. Oh no. <laughs> Um. Anyway, <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> that's a no, no, no. That's a um. Uh. Uh. Oh God. Uh. What, what's their names? The. All right. Uh. The guy who voiced the crab in uh, Moana. Yep. He has a band. Okay. Flight of the Flight of the Concords. Yep. Okay. It's a Flight of the Concords song. It's called "I'm the Hip <laughs> the Hip Hopopotamus." Yep. Yep, the hip hopopotamus and the rhinoceros. You know, <laughs> I'm the hip hopopotamus. My my lyrics are bottomless, and then he doesn't have a line, and that's the joke. <clears throat> you need to go and Google this immediately. It's a, it's pretty okay. fantastic. That's, anyway, that like I'm, I'm, I'll do it right after. We're done. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Right after. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. I would, but I have to submit to the region five. Call. Oh, <laughs> imagine that. SCI I, region five. You texted me and said, hey, just a friendly reminder. This is due. And I almost went, OK, down. <laughs> <laughs> that was the second version of how that text was going to go. I'm sure it was. <laughs> Yeah, and you would have gotten the first version of the response <laughs> that we all know is rattling around in my skull. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, what was I? What were we talking about? They impacted oh, something on the oh, audience. Yeah. yeah, like what? How do you hope your music affects? You know, of course it depends on the piece, but you know, there I definitely have a uh, a large swath of pieces that have like kind of an environmental you know, overtone on it. And I hope it gets, you know, if not uh, true action, at least people thinking um, thinking differently and, like, looking up stuff. You know, like my, my flute quartet where it's about octopus, uh, octopuses. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it, even it, they hear it and it was like, oh, they read the program notes. Like, oh, octopuses. Oh, oh, weird. Oh, oh. You know, and they, like, start looking up stuff and just learning and, you know, that, that would be nice. I mean, and then for, like, a piece like Bloom, I mean, I hope they have, like, a truly visceral experience with the piece. You know, like, when when that piece uh, was performed at Seamus, um, you know, and it's, uh, honestly, you know, at Seamus, it's mostly to other composers. You know, that's who your audience is at Seamus. Yeah, who cares uh, if they for the, Wait, what? For the, mo- <laughs> for the most part. But... After that piece, after the concert was over, and I was second to last on the concert, you know, and I was I was up on stage getting all my gear together and, and packing it away. And I had just, you know, I had several uh, friends, close friends, and some that people I'd never met in my life, like, come up to me and express, like, how much, you know, they loved the piece and how it affected them. I had one good friend, uh, he just, like, he he kind of I was putting stuff away and he just cut like he caught me out of the corner he was backstage he caught me out of the corner of my eye and I just like oh I'll 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 go talk to him and he just like like gave you that like really slow hug like holy shit you just destroyed me emotionally <laughs> you know and it's like for a piece like that that's what I want mm. you know I I want them to feel 
I want them to go on that journey with me and at the end, you know, be be a little bit destroyed. Like, mm. even despite the fact that that's not what the piece is about at all. You know, it has no, like, emotional overtones or, or anything, but it's imbued in the music. The experience, you know, yeah. The experience is there. So I guess, like, I, you know, I want them to feel something, mm-hmm. you know, something, not nothing. Feeling nothing after you listen to a piece of music is just like. Something like, reserved for Elmo. <laughs> when I listen to music, I don't feel anything. <laughs> that was quite good, by the way. <laughs> I've been practicing. I mean, and, and, Andrew Cody will, no one will ever do it better, but you no. know. No. No. Anyway. Jamie. Jamie Lee Sampson. I've debate. I've been debating if I want to bring my Midwest response to this. Sim- it's a question that's similar to something Rob asked all of the composers of oh. Midwest. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> I need a second to just die. Sorry. <laughs> Take as many years as you want. I don't I don't think that I can actually do it justice right now though. So everybody's gonna have to hang out. Maybe later on in the season, Rob, you'll have to re-ask me that question because I thought you were gonna fall out of your chair when you asked it at Midwest and I responded to you. It's true. No. Oh. Yeah. There, there it is. Yep. I was like, oh, I just is... remembered. <laughs> well what <laughs> Right. I mean it was a it was a like it, how do we... you reach people type yeah, of thing. No, question. no, no. It was uh what what drives your creativity yes. what makes you you know put pencil to paper or put uh little dots on that screen what makes you get up and go vengeance <laughs> <laughs> i will have to do that better we'll have to edit and post because <laughs> we'll right po- how much jamie, lee, jamie lee sampson <laughs> jamie lee sampson what drives your creativity vengeance yeah, that is exactly. Rob was just talking about how, you know, everybody's got a lot of great answers resol- revolving around the audience, but every once in a while he'd love to be surprised by that question, so I surprised him nearly off a stool. <laughs> the look of shock on your face for just a split second before Vengeance. you started laughing. You just looked so good. dumbstruck for a second. It was perfect. But it's also um, perfect for you. <laughs> it isn't though it isn't well, I mean not, yeah. for my, not for my music not for the real answer but the for real. like the you know deflects with humor the playful banter yes yeah. exactly yeah. the oh, yeah. the public the somewhat public persona of of Jamie <laughs> vengeance it's so good JFS she's back yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. So um, my work is, we were talking about last, last episode, Rob, you really didn't like use identity markers to tie to your music. Um, And I've been thinking about that this past week. I, I don't know if I ever would have been able to help it. I like, it is part of, I am a woman in the 20th 21st century. I still don't know when I am. I made an incorrect TikTok the other day about being 20th century. <laughs> when am I? <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, I, I really am closely tied to being a Great Lakes composer. I think we all have a different sound world than New York City. I do feel more closely tied to Chicago than I do to New York or L.A. Um, 
all of those identity things also impact the way I interact with the audience because somewhere, somewhere along the way, I, I read a statement that was about artists needing to hold a mirror up to the society that they live in. Mm. And that kind of became part of what I do. So I do write about, I mean, American Mother just tears everybody's guts out every time they listen to it. That is not a subtle piece. That is, it's almost a vengeance piece. I'm sure if my mother someday hears it, she's going to think it's about her. You probably think this song is about you. (laughs) Um, But, you know, in in all honesty. (laughs) Yeah, right there, Rob. (laughs) In all honesty. Keep keep going, Andrew. <laughs> I found that text and it just happened to align with stuff that I was seeing. Yeah. There is not a week. Let's let's back it up to there's not a month of my life where I haven't read a headline where a mother did something terrible. Just this week, a mom who had an emotional meltdown killed three of her kids. Yeah. It happens everywhere. Uh. And by ignoring the bad moms. Ignoring that doesn't make them go away. So I don't have a problem writing heavy music or music that can be confused as vengeance. It's not about my mother at all. But the um, the issues really are, let's hold a mirror up. Let's show people what the 21st century is actually like. Mozart did it. His opera about the abuse that the lower classes took from the upper classes like it's a huge political statement it's not just all birds that fall in love and princesses that have crazy mothers in the sky and do we sense a theme here they've always been nuts we've always been nuts there have always been bad ones <laughs> that one exactly and there's also been abuses of power they're still current because in a hundred years I'm not 100% sure we're all going to feel the same way about the individuals in politics, but we are going to still have the same emotional reaction to abuses of power and terrible moms and all of the other stuff that I feel compels me. So to me, I sometimes horrify the audience. My poor yoga instructor was at my recital last year, you guys. (laughs) My poor Yoga instructor. God damn. No, was not very zen. Let's put it that way. No wonder you're so fucking tense. (laughs) (laughs) She came up to me a couple days later and still looked bewildered by the stuff I had written. And like, yeah, there was there were two light sets. There was light set number one, light set number at the the beginning and the end were both lighter pieces, but the middle was fucking devastating. And it was about gun violence and bad moms. And what was the third piece, Andrew? Do you remember? American Mother, Loss. Mm. Oh, oh, it was the one about, um, it was another part of my opera on gun violence. And it was... The mother who had lost her daughter to gun violence and just keeps waking up in the middle of the night thinking that she's still going to call. All right. Light topics. Light topics. I got backstage with uh, the group that was playing right after that, and I looked around and to break the ice a little bit because I knew that they, the seven of us, had to break the ice after that, right? So, uh, you know, again, I deflect with humor. Um, I looked at everybody. I said, did y'all call your therapist during that one? You okay? Cool. Let's go. (laughs) 
<laughs> and we all went out on stage and, and played, we're off and played a piece about um it, it's called Adrift Entwined, and it's how the pandemic felt to me. Like we were all just floating there, but we were really tightly bound. You know, that was that was that's how I choose to write. And the impact that has on audiences is either they hate it or they completely identify with it, and there's not a whole lot in between. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with you hating. I am okay with the fact that I'm saying out loud that I'm writing an opera on gun violence and I fully expect in the next three or four years to have death threats about it because it is going to call into question things that we all know should be called into question, but it's going to do it musically. And who am I to have an opinion on gun violence? I am just someone who grew up starting high school six months after Columbine and graduated college the week of Virginia Tech. And we're now outpacing days, I'm sorry, uh, mass shootings in the United States by days of the year. There are more of one than the other, and it's completely incorrect. So the incorrect shit. None of it's right. That's what I'm trying to say. Snotopotamus. Yeah, I'm having a problem. (laughs) Anyways. I I personally like the thread of continuity between the three of us because basically what it comes down to in answering this uh, chatbot's question or, or or yes reflecting on this chatbot's question is um, we would like the audience to feel yeah that yeah. right that there is there is something in there I I too don't give a crap if they hate the piece or love the piece that for me either of those is a desirable outcome. If someone has the wherewithal for me to come up after a concert and spit in my eye because the piece was terrible, I'm actually okay with this. I don't recommend that you do it. Italian here. (laughs) (laughs) Spit in my eye. Um, But the notion that I think music is communication fundamentally, uh, if, if you're not actually breaking through to someone and communicating an idea that makes them uncomfortable or, or resonates with them, either of those things, then I don't think you've done your job as an artist. Or maybe I should say you haven't capitalized on the opportunity to exploit what our job does really well. And so... That's that's how I look at all of the stuff that I do kind of for audiences in concert. Yes, I'm keeping them in mind, but I feel that I don't have to obsess about the audience because if it's an audience of humans and I am engaged in what I'm doing and I'm honest with myself and I like what I'm doing or I feel something about what I'm doing, I'm fairly certain that at least a few people in the audience are going to be moved as well. Yeah, I would I would have to say I'm right there with you. It's like I have to like it first. Yeah. You know, and, and if there's if there's ever a point where I'm slipping into like oh, well, you know, I'm I'm doing this for someone else, then it's like it's not genuine. Authentic. It's not genuine, <laughs> it's not authentic, it's not me whatsoever. So yeah, it's like I want the I want I mean I would prefer that they like it over hate it, you know, nah. like, okay, okay. I mean, think think back. Would you rather have someone give you one of those hugs that like you just destroyed me and I love you for it? Or would you rather have the douchebag who comes up to you after a piece and is like, did you have to write it so high? I mean, like, 
I mean, I generally don't like people touching me, so. (laughs) God, the next time I see you, I'm just going to glom on so hard. (laughs) Oh, that was awesome. Um, (laughs) I, I I have to kind of chuckle about the last part of the question. That that the chatbot came up with here for for number ten, because doesn't that the just larger. scream like nineteenth century romantic genius? Like on the larger muni- musical community. Ah, I misread that. Right. Yeah. And yeah. F- f- yeah. I don't know about you. For me, I don't care. That's not my job. Yeah. Are we? We're talking about like. <clears throat> the larger musical community are we talking about the effect that it has on other composers on other i mean i want performers to play it so i want performers to like it i mean that that could be a, a larger facet of the community i suppose yeah but in terms of like do i do i care if it impresses I, mm. or changes the landscape of our entire genre or art form? honestly no i don't care i i stopped caring about that a long time ago you know, there's the whole thing that, and, and, you know, with, with students, you have to remind them of this all the time because mm-hmm. what are they, what are they, uh, when they're coming through music school, what are they constantly listening to? Things that they perceive are the masterworks and what right. do they compare themselves to? Things that they perceive are the masterworks. Yep. And it's like, dude, you're not Beethoven. You're never going to be Beethoven. Stop trying to be Beethoven. Just write something. That's all you have to do. Yeah, be a better you. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like do like that that was probably the 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 engine to stop caring about, you know, is this going to have a lasting influence or what who the fuck cares? Am I happy with it right now? Great. That's all I need to be. Can I tell you a story about this? Please. Yes. Actually, no. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I say no? <laughs> Why would either of us say no? Just tell your story. <laughs> hey, hey. I may choose not to if you're if you're mean. Um, okay, and I so, win. <laughs> so I have always been an audience-centric teacher, partially mm. because it gets the students out of their own heads about building energy because they could just let it let an intro go on for 45 minutes and not actually go somewhere with it, right? Yikes. So I was teaching this student a couple years ago, and they were, uh, I am using they to anonymize, not that this is their pronouns, okay? Check. They were writing music that never went anywhere, but they felt really good about. And they spent three semesters with me, and we got to this really interesting gestural writing and all of this stuff, and then... Some weird shit went down, okay? And they ended up not being in my studio. They ended up not being at Fredonia anymore. And on Twitter, about six months later, they were like, ah, I'm so glad to be at a place that finally doesn't make me focus on the audience. I just get to write what I want to write. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) so you don't care. You don't care about the audience at all? Because like... What percentage of the entire planet has tastes that are perfectly aligned with yours? If you're neglecting that many people to just write what you want to write, cool. Have so much fun. Have so much fun. I wish you well. That's the end of my story. 
Yeah, like good luck with that attitude. It's so yeah. it's so very isolating, but of course that's what historically we get taught about many of the composers, right? Who are just But who's teaching them that? Well, but also just to step into the devil's advocate for a moment. To be fair. Be a Libra. Be a Libra. Let's I have go. to be fair. <laughs> it is my sign. <laughs> for some people, like, there there are totally those people out there who are just out to write music, satisfy themselves. They're totally happy with the MIDI. They don't care if it's ever performed. They just True. have to get it out. And that's that's all it is. So it's like... You have to take into consideration the goals of the composer. Now, mm. one would think if you're going to school for composition, your goals would be to be a successful composer in the world, not just necessarily to learn it and do it. I mean, usually I feel like the people that just want to satisfy themselves, they buy Finale and they just do it. Mm, hobbyists of sorts and yeah exactly it's like you don't need to go yeah you don't need to go into debt to just do this for yourself like if you plan to make this part of your career then i would hope you would care about the community the community and having success within that community you know otherwise like what is this all for that's a great question rob (laughs) (laughs) well this highlights one of the meta opportunities because uh again from these from these 10 questions we get we get to have a a laugh but b also uh a bit of a chance to to venture into larger more interesting or or potentially um just profoundly resonant things that uh, give us more to chew on and more to ponder. I think. Are so, you gonna steal? Are you gonna steal my question for your next question? What is it all for? No, no. Because <laughs> are you my, gonna chat GPT me? Yeah, my my <laughs> next thing is to is to continue with the chat GPTing. Because if, <laughs> if, if you if you look at that document, colleagues, I doubled down, and I told. Oh, I'm uh, seeing it. I told the chat bot here to uh, to expand on its initial list of ten with an additional five, but targeted to a specific type of composer. Boy, I had an agenda when I did this. Clearly. I'm kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> who, wa- who wants to read the first one? Like I mean, to talk all, about yourself much, I Andrew? Say it's what, all about you. <laughs> what, 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 is, what is the prompt here? That's, let's do that first. What, I'll what, do that. You do generate, generate five additional questions about the pros and cons of algorithmic composition. What is Andrew Martin Smith? Say it with us now. An algorithmic composer. <laughs> At least he professes to be. Miniaturist. Miniaturist, Ooh. algorithmic composer. Any any other? Uh, I can't think of any others right now. I'll, I'll take those labels. Those are good. Those are good. Ooh, some of these questions are awful. <laughs> Would you want to go first then, Jamie? What's the first one that spit back? Serial uh, whistler. That's what Andrew is. <laughs> Or compulsive whistler? I like I like the idea of compulsive. Maybe not so serial. <laughs> Although serial in a different way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do I look like a killer to you? 
Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, you kill my patients. <laughs> Vengeance. Mm. All right, question number one. Thank you for filling in. How does algorithmic composition compare to traditional composing methods in terms of efficiency and creativity? Yeah, I'm. I, I can't. Oh, so good. We can unpack that in a minute. But oh the second God. question it had. Uh, if I pull this up here, the second question: um, Can you discuss any limitations of using algorithms in music composition? There's, there's one. Okay. How does the use of algorithms impact the emotional or expressive aspects of music? <laughs> mm. Can you speak to ethical concerns surrounding the use of algorithms in music <laughs> composition? <laughs> and does it think it's a microorganism? Like, are we experimenting on microorganism algorithms? Oh man, the, I mean the the ethics of that um, could be there could be ethical quandaries here. What do you what do you have to one, what do you have to fill out when you're using like human or animal subjects in a dissertation? The uh, HSRB, the Human Subjects yeah. Research Board, has to there approve. It is. Yes, <laughs> I am writing an algorithmic composition. I need to like file a report. <laughs> you should file a report. Should I be should. criminal. Oh, <laughs> shots wow. fired! Wow! Wow! <laughs> wow! As as for most things on this, we represent a spectrum with Andrew on one side, Jamie on one side, and me flat in the middle. And we have just found that that is correct for this uh, for this particular question. <laughs> The last question it generated, question number five, was uh, how do audiences typically respond to music composed using <laughs> algorithms compared to music composed by humans? I just think by these five humans. are hilarious. <laughs> okay, so, so... Well, well, Beethoven yeah. was a human, oh, so... Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, so here's the, here's the meta idea. First off, I mean, in some ways, these, these questions are a bit trash, but they they allow us an opportunity to kind of, um, e explore potentially why, or, or potentially how on the surface there, there could be a good question in there, but chat GPT just completely missed the mark. Okay. And, and anybody, anybody have a thought to start on? Well, I mean... Okay, first of all, let's start with the audience. Audiences one. Please. A, they're never going to fucking know about it. So they're going to respond exactly the same. Unless you tell them, they're never going to know. So they will they will respond exactly the same as they would to if it were composed by a human. There's a Turing test. Yep. Yeah. Now, the problem with this is the idea that an algorithm pushed itself to start <laughs> doing the things. Yep. That's mm. not what happens. A composer wrote the algorithm, put the limitations in, put the stipulations in, designed the entire thing to work, pressed go, and then harvested the results into a musical composition, maybe and probably changing some things along the way that the computer got wrong. Yep. So this mm. idea that like, oh, algorithmic composition, it's all done by computers. No, it's fucking not. All right. It's still done by a person. Like a person had their hands on every process because despite AI becoming more sentient as the seconds pass, they can't press go on themselves. 
<laughs> Jamie's giggling. <laughs> I have wildly inappropriate responses over here. <laughs> I think I might just keep them to myself this time. This is this is I mean, why we if have an the AI, rating. If an AI could like <laughs> That is that is the definition of masturbation right there. An AI compo- composing their own music. It's like who? What is it for? And and, and completely not for the for? audience. The the AI is just composing it for itself and its own enjoyment. Yes. I love that each of these questions prompts the question: What is it all for? I was gonna. I was just about to write down like that has to be our closing. <laughs> closing idea um like yeah both the music and the chat whatever the i still haven't i haven't opened it i haven't learned the initials gpt it goes in alphabetical order gpt okay (laughs) that was that was an excellent teacher moment there that was that was awesome (laughs) what what acronym or what uh what do you call those um when you uh take Take letters and a mnemonic I mean, device. A mnemonic yeah. device. What mnemonic device did you just come up with for it? <laughs> Great fat thing <laughs> with the with the with the p with the p with a ph. Yes, it's yes. a fat thing. Getting, I mean, like the '90s fashion is coming back. The early aughts are due next. I might as well start putting a p in front of fat. It's not a thing. It's a thang. Exactly. Oh my god. Uh, so is there is are we actually we're just we're just responding we're, to these ridiculous I don't think questions? We can answer these questions? I mean, no, because in some ways I think they're I think they're bad questions. Oh, they're definitely bad questions. So did you have like a meta question that you were trying to pull out of this? I I mean, Rob, when you said what what's this all for? Tongue in cheek? <laughs> yes, that I, I, yes. <laughs> but for this specific one, algorithmically. It was a little tongue in cheek because of the the process that I'm involved in generating these questions is one that is an algorithmic process. And I I was tickled by the fact that ethical concerns are being raised by the chat bot about the process that I'm currently engaged in with it. (laughs) Okay, that's funny. And (laughs) if if that's the meta you're referring to, it sailed over my head the past couple times you mentioned it. I didn't get it at all. So. This is no, no. This is yeah. This I I was entirely tickled by this um, because that's a thing that gets raised a lot in in uh, and we're seeing it a lot with this particular algorithm or or with this particular AI and with other uh, AIs that are that are doing more specifically music focused things mm-hmm. like like very much so again there's always a human hand involved still but they are generating more and more raw data that is very serviceable right out of the box so to speak and you know it's funny can i, yeah, can go I ahead, interrupt absolutely. you right there because I saw someone throw an absolute hissy fit, like of only white male proportion, the other day about no offense GPT. <laughs> no, it was it was like way too emotional, and I know exactly why this person did it. I mean, like he's still trying to get the approval of someone who is never going to give it. Um, that's the last thing I'm going to say, Rob. Don't give me that face. Oh, I'm not we'll talk I'm not later. telling you who on recording. We'll talk um, later. But I just watched this epic hissy fit, and I was like, 
I remember when I stopped writing electronic music, I knew I was going to fall behind educationally because it moves so freaking fast. It was never because I thought it was going to impact my own creativity. All of these things are tools, just like a matrix to generate 12 tones. That's an algorithm. That is an algorithm. Just like motivic development for minimalists, all of these things are tools you apply to your own creativity and you have to make fucking choices. Yep. And without that element, yes, of course we're going to know that it's, that it's, what was that last question? <laughs> That Ethical it's something by humans. Humans. Oh my god, the Ferengi are following me. <laughs> <laughs> my job um, here is but, done. Oh Jesus Christ! Um, the 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 hissy fit that this person was throwing though was just about how bad and awful, and he didn't want to see another person talk about how it could be creative creatively applied to education. Like I saw a teacher on TikTok. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. You saw that, right? To like generate an essay and she took out and put blank lines everywhere where there's a lot of weakness, a lot of uh, there was a lack of connection between one area and the other. I mean, what did I teach today in compositions, composition lessons? I taught transitions. It's the same type of creative education tool. If you trust your students. If you trust your own creative process, I really don't get, like, I don't love these questions. I'm not going to use this regularly. Yeah. But I am going to use algorithmic composition tools and techniques because why wouldn't I? What, like, why throw a fit about this? Is there a good reason to throw a fit about this other than my students might cheat? If you can't tell the difference between a generated um, assignment and your students, that's a different conversation to have. Don't they already have a way to figure out if it was generated by... Oh, there, there are several AIs that are currently, I don't want to say competing, but there, there are several other things that folks... I think one of them was recently built by a grad student somewhere that basically analyzes uh, statistically the the response and through its through its um through its algorithmic structure and the statistics in its database it determines whether or not it's more likely that an artificial intelligence wrote this or a human now so when, what when it comes back that i wrote everything cuz i'm basically an artificial intelligence i'm going to be okay with it <laughs> i mean what what they're going to have to start programming <laughs> artificial intelligence to do is make grammatical mistakes <gasps> because um, yep. I don't know about you guys, but the level of grammar and English aptitude for the current generation has is different. It's dive. different, Rob. <laughs> okay, it's different. Fine, but in my opinion, don't no sound one... like you're nearly forty, Rob. Come on. Fuck. <laughs> I just was talking about this this weekend. How you like, hey, Rob, you're nearly 40. Like, no, I am nearly 40 when I'm 39 and 11 months. Love it. Anyway, you're being so sensitive about this. I know. It's a and, and really, and really, I have privilege to get older. 
I have no reason to get sensitive about it because I don't give a shit about age. But you saying the word, we're nearly 40. It just, it it hits (laughs) a little different. It irks him. It irks him. It irks. I like, why do you have to, why do you have to project towards the future? I mean. That's what I do. Why? We're 38. Rob. That's what it is. Have I not told you why I do this? Yes. You've told me exactly why you do this. It's fine. (laughs) We don't have to get into it now. I think we've actually talked about this on the podcast before. Okay. Well. Like, I understand. Know. I understand. I am I am in the moment. I don't need to be nearly anything. I am absolutely this. Here. <laughs> Maybe that's why you overcommit to commissions. Shut up. <laughs> Shots fired. Remember when I'm they not overcommitted. Saying- I am I am very committed to the pieces I have committed to. I am currently saying no to anything else and trying to get rid of everything else that can be gotten rid of. Amen. Because I have overcommitted. You're right. Amen. Amen. So, okay. Rob, Uh, you were in the middle of making a really interesting point. What was it? I can't remember. Oh, I have no idea. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Dory. Oh, it was. And Dory's doppelganger. It was a, it, well. the The point was, uh, oh, about like grammatical mistakes. Yes, like, yes. Uh, to yeah. to make it like you know, to if you really want to get at the heart of the students who might be using this at the current moment, uh, I'm sorry, you need to kind of make it worse, um, you know, or better, depending upon your perspective of how, is it getting more like a human. Well, the, the, there it is, you know. Um, like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. That, that was just kind I mean, of a throwaway like, thought, but. Apparently the going rate to have somebody else write your essay for you is only like 20 bucks. That seems like a whole lot less frustration. I saw a kid on TikTok the other day that had a wad of cash from writing other people's essays. There are no words. And I was just like, Jesus. that seems like an easier route to pursue if you're going to cheat. is just to pay somebody who can process this in your own grammar style. Yeah. Well, here's the interesting thing about this is we already do this, right? In in a lot of musical uh, digital audio workstations, when we do quantizing things, you know, if, if you were to algorithmically quantize to an exact, like, a perfect metric division of things, it sounds pretty terrible. And there are plugins and applications that are designed to take the quantization and enter in a subtle amount of inconsistency or inaccuracy based on analysis of like how drummers sound like they're keeping a steady beat. But in fact, it's not quite as steady as you think it is, even though humans perceive it as steady. Well, here's here's the thing, though. I mean, you bring up drummers with this and oh god the the problem is i mean this is why in certain respects especially with pop music i mean we have seen the death of the uh you know the the orchestra when it comes to um film music you know so many session musicians are losing their job because like um and it's not that they can be replaced, you know, because 
no matter what violin patch you have, it's never, right. ever going to replicate a professional. However, they've gotten good enough yep. that the music changes to suit the tool. And that's the music that's going that's like putting people out of a job. However, with drums, especially with drums, feel cannot be digitized. Qu- quantized. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like when something feels good, it innately like, oh man, they're in the pocket. I love this. This feels good. You cannot replicate that. It's it cannot be done. It absolutely cannot be done. And I'm gonna say Yet, because I'm that person who's so excited about all this AI, like I am super stoked. Like the okay. fact that the fact that I'm basically living Star Trek right now, and I just ask the computer for ten questions, and they're terrible shit questions, but we get a discussion out of it. That's a lot different from like sound like Steve Gad, you know. <laughs> and none of it will stop a bullet from going through a child. What's it all for? <laughs> What's it Fucking all downer, for? Jamie. God damn it. You ask the deep questions, you're going to get the deep shit. So We're deep in the shit right now. I, there I are wanna... bigger problems that somebody who wrote this shit could have been putting their energy towards. True. I, I actually don't think so. I actually think this is actually a really, uh, I think this is an important milestone on the on the trajectory towards something else. I mean, okay. I mean they've been predi- like uh, Ray Kurzweil has been predicting that the singularity will occur in 1929 for the past like 40 years or something like that, and the other a 2029 other- or 1929. Oh, I'm sorry, 2020. <laughs> Just making yeah, sure, because right. I'm going to invent a time machine real fast. <laughs> Woo! Um, no, but he's been predicting that for however long. I, I don't know what the what the number is, mm-hmm. but it's been a fucking long time. He's been predicting that, and everyone else said, no, 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 it's not going to be then. You know, it's going to be like, uh, you know, in the 2100s or something like that. And then they keep backing it up, and he's staying consistent, backing it, they're, they're backing it up, backing it up, backing it up. This year, they agreed. Yeah. The singularity is happening in about uh, seven, six, seven years. You know? So, I don't know. I'm, I'm tickled. I'm never, I'm never afraid of technology, but I also think that the people that view technology as God or need the to cut end that result shit in out. itself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a tool. And it still needs someone to press go until it doesn't. <laughs> but why? Why would we program that in? What's it That's all the for? question. Everyone's so afraid of technology becoming one sentient. One little psychotic anarchist who is going to program go. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. And then you unplug the shit. Like, like this... As long as you make it with a six-foot extension cord, it's not coming for us. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I These doomsday people with their like, oh, it's coming to get the machines are going to take over. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, 
baseball bat still exists. I, l- I love everything about the direction this conversation has taken. <laughs> we will office space that shit. By the way, listeners, if you've made it this far, I want you to know that I have sent Rob every bear TikTok oh, <laughs> that I could find for the past week. God damn you. You keep doing it. And it's like... It's like right, usually right I watch bed. it right before bed. I told you not to watch it before bed. That one, but not all the rest of them. I just the go snake, in blind. The, the snake flying out of the gutter. Oh, dude. <laughs> come on, man. Because the thing is, we have trees that go above our gutters, but they're like not. It's still like a gutter over the uh, over the like patio or whatever. Mm-mm. A snake could come right out of there, right onto my head. Like Jamie, what are you doing to me? <laughs> this is my TikTok feed right now. It's finally different than yours. I need to fix it. <laughs> it really is. I honestly quit sending you stuff because one day you were like, "Yeah, seen it, seen it, seen it." We're basically on the same feed, and so I just stopped we sending you videos. I was like, "Cool, we're on the same feed." And I then mean, you sent me you- four hundred. Well. And then I finally caught up. I think And it funny. turns out by the time I caught up, we were on different feeds. So now I'm just sending you scary critters. Little, little care packages. Yes. Yes. No. <laughs> so so I had one thought, one one remaining thought about this, this second iteration of the five additional questions. And uh, it stems from the fact that this this notion that uh, algorithm algorithmic composition is new it kind of puts it in the context of like you know uh, cutting edge contemporary like how how is this all and and my favorite part was um, how does the very first question how does algorithmic composition compare to traditional composing methods in terms of efficiency and creativity well here's fucking the thing. fucking two five one bitches yeah like c- composition has been algorithmic. For a while. So in terms of creativity, right? In terms of creativity, nothing is really going to change. Creative individuals will... I've lost... Just so the the viewers know, the listeners know, like, I have lost complete control. I cannot see any of my colleagues. There's just... They may asphyxiate or expire from lack of oxygen. I need a minute. God, I'm so glad we're doing these. <laughs> I just think, I just think the the framing of uh, algorithm needs to kind of be contextualized in the in the this the situation of the human, like Rob yes. and Jamie have been saying, like the 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 most successful algorithmic composers of any time period has always been the ones that dialogue with the process. Right. Yes. And, and they don't let the process dictate what they do. Well, I think that like, you know, the word algorithm, mm. you know, in popular culture, it has become such a thing of like techie, 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 techie robots, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, If you go down to the bare bones of what an algorithm is, the true definition of an algorithm, you like you say, you realize that we've been using this shit for the entire human existence. You know, it's just a way to explain a process. Yep. Like, that's it. But, yeah, like, (laughs) yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, if more people kind of, like, 
dialed into what it what it what it actually is and how long we've been using it they wouldn't be threatened or anything by by its inclusion into an artistic practice it's in yeah it's inclusion into the artistic practice i like that uh okay so so we, we have come to my last a possible like meta query here um i gave the chat gpt one more question um, and the prompt that I gave it was, uh, what do you think the most important question to ask a, a composer of contemporary music should be? Can I, can I read it? Please. Well, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the context and the individual composer. But one important question to ask a composer of contemporary music could be, what is the message or intention behind your work, and how do you aim to communicate that to your audience through your compositions? This can provide insight into the composer's creative vision and underlying ideas driving their music. Now, what was my what was my question to the Omi or uh, the the Midwest people? What drives what, your uh -huh. your creativity? <laughs> yup, I am no better than Chat GPT. <laughs> What's it all for? What's it all for? <laughs> what is it all for? <laughs> that should be the title of this episode. <laughs> oh god, yeah. <laughs> but you know that this this last question actually is kind of intriguing because of what the the bot did. Like I gave it a very vague, sort of stupidish question, uh, and it kind of did its best to sort of contextualize it, but also I think struck a chord, pun intended, with uh, maybe what music is most important uh, for or about, or at least what I think it is, and the, the communicative aspect of it. So, hey. I mean, to be fair, I've seen a bunch of these things where you ask it a vague question and it starts out the exact same way. Oh, it depends on the context. <laughs> you know, that's its go-to if you ask to it To be fair, so does any person on a panel discussion <laughs> totally. at any conference. Absolutely. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. It's just that, like... Well, it's it all right. It passed the Turing test because of that. <laughs> I I I think I think that's hilarious. I think that's hilarious. Uh, the other thing that I find hilarious, and we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about it or or thinking about it much, but um, don't tell I me did, what to do. I did do something a little more um, specific to to me at least. And just just wanting to see what types of of things that uh, ChatGPT could generate, um, you know, relative to some stuff that I do. If I were if I were thinking about, for example, using this as a tool for some algorithmic composition of my own, just feeding in some generic information. So I just sent a surprise link to to our, our folks here. Ooh, of, surprise uh, link! A little conversation that I had with ChatGPT about just telling it to spit out some MIDI data. Uh, in uh, uh, Per Norgard's Infinity series. We had a lovely conversation. We're not going to read it to the audience. Just know the conversation was lovely. It was an exchange back and forth of me trying to get at uh, the, the mistakes that ChatGPT made. And my favorite part, my favorite part of the whole thing was when uh, it spit out some answers that were ridiculous and I asked it a few questions. Uh, the first of which was, 
uh, it had MIDI numbers going into the upper 200s. And I'm like, mm, isn't MIDI data from uh, uh, 0 to 127? And it said, yes, you're correct. MIDI pitches values, uh, MIDI pitch values range from 0 to 127, not 285. I apologize for the mistake. <laughs> I apologize. Jeez. <laughs> well, this, you know, so uh, we we have the Amazon woman in our house who I will not who, who will say, not be named <laughs> who will not be named. Thus, she wake up. Um, and you know, oh, yeah, <laughs> Jamie's on board. I was like, what did you just call Kate? <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's terrible. Um, no, I mean like, like the Amazons, mm, big, strong, but we always we, no, we're not, we're not okay. We seek, we seek approval for the that. Amazon yes. woman. The <laughs> woman that her name starts with A and ends with mm-hmm. A and has an X in it. Well, she um, does not listen to me when I'm there. <laughs> well, <laughs> she doesn't listen to Kate either. Um, uh oh. Yeah, exactly. I, see, I sense a theme. Usually, I'm the one that has to yell at her. And then she listens. Imagine that. that. Holy crap. (laughs) Hey, um, someone brought this up about vacuum cleaners a couple years ago, about how they refuse to get one Hmm. because so many people name them women's names, specifically Latina names. Oh. Because of a traditional job being held by a specific demographic, and like are we you, named are our you robot talking, Chad, because he runs, huh? So you're talking about? Oh, you're saying like if if they have uh, if the like if the Roomba has a like voice? Uh, no, you have to give them. Names. You have to give it a you name have to on, on the app. Oh, when I you, didn't know that. When you get the vacuum cleaner, you oh. have to name it. So we named ours Chad because it kept running face first into everything, <laughs> <laughs> like a football player. <laughs> So, um, but it was, wait, wait, it was something wait, 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 like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Have yeah. you, have you seen the SNL Chad series with yes. Davidson? Oh my God. Please go watch it immediately. Get, okay. watch the first one with uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. It's freaking hilarious. And it will give more context to why you named your, uh, thing that runs into walls Chad. Okay. But you just said the statement out loud that you have to yell at. Yes. Election. Does that not make you feel weird that you like yell at a woman's voice? Uh, no, because it's not a woman's voice. It's a robot. Boom. Do you think in a in a family that is a little less nuanced, like? Oh, I I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. And yes. That and actually, I didn't. It did not occur to me because I've seen how frustrated you get at at Alexa. Yeah, I just, you I just can say it. You're not here. I am in Cherie's house, though. Oh, when, they like, have it too. My first week here, I couldn't figure out what was beeping in my bathroom because okay. the nightlight lets them know when deliveries are out. Yeah. And even though they disabled it listening to me, I was still getting alerts, and I just thought I was losing my goddamn mind. <laughs> I left the bathroom a couple times, and it was like, beep, beep, like, hold on. Like, what the yeah. fuck? 
I mean, but, you can you can definitely tell that it was designed by men for men's voices. Yeah, you know, it's and it's the whole thing about Siri. Like, like you you've talked yeah. about that before. Like how Siri didn't recognize women's voices mm-hmm. because no women were in the room when they were programming it. You know, yep. It's it, it's totally that. It ignores Kate more than it annoys ignores me. Um, it annoys both of us equally. But but it also like you know she'll like turn like turn off the plant lights or plants off or something like that and doesn't do it. Here's a song I found about you know whatever and it's like ignore and it's eventually it's just like I have to yell at it and it finally does at it. It does it. Yep. You know so. Yep. But it's a robot. That's that's what it is. It's a robot. It is a robot programmed by men with a female voice that causes you to yell at it. Yeah. I just it just like it yep. perpetuates this weird cycle of violence to me that freaks me out a little bit. It, it, yes, you're right. It is the the default is is a like stereotypically uh women's voice. I say that because um like I was corrected on this particular podcast about like there being not like true voices that are gendered um, by Maria Murphy, who uh, this was like episode 33 or something. It's a long time ago. Oh, historic. Um, but we were talking about Laurie Anderson and how like, you know, she would use uh pitch um, mm-hmm. to, to alter her voice. And I was like, but yeah, but it's still like, it was, it was to alter her v- voice to like the, level of like the depth of a man's or whatever but i was saying like at the time i was saying like well yeah but you can't like harmonizers aren't going to do that because you lose all of the like if you lower this then you're lowering all the um uh the harmonics above it and it's not it's not a real man's voice and i got fucking roasted for that so um you're right it is in that tessitura but it's it's a fucking robot and you can change it you can't but you also are right that it is the default the default yep and you better believe that those were dudes that programmed that default in oh yeah well this that was the fun. most libra e statement i could have made <laughs> like I'm saying one thing, I'm degrading myself in the next statement, I'm saying you're wrong, and then I'm saying you're right. Yeah. Like, Rob, you, I think, I mean, like, you might be the ultimate Libra. I always end up at zero. You always end up, I think you're like a scale with six or seven different plates. <laughs> not two. It's yeah. not two. You, you're balancing, like... Every side of the argument here. Yeah. I still can't believe I said, are you a Libra to one of my high school students? Because he started a sentence to say what you do. He said, to be fair. And I went, I said, what are you, a Libra? And that kid went, yeah. (laughs) I nearly died laughing. And he went, what's wrong with being a Libra? And I was like, oh, my God, nothing. This is an inside joke. And I'm the only one here who knows it. (laughs) Whoops. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. Well, what we learned from this episode is that Andrew is not creative and can't come up with his own questions. Seriously. So, <laughs> but he loves using algorithmic tools to do his work for him. 
Hey, I got my questions last week from a podcast. Well, I got one of I got my leading question from another podcast. You unoriginal bastards. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, Rob, what is it all for? (laughs) Cue the music. (laughs) Perfect. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.